it's time for us to open up and awaken our inner shaman. We didn't get born without one, but they're latent and they're asleep within us. Coiled up probably in the DMT in our pineal gland. They are there and in our hearts. And the ancestors are in our bones, you know, and great mysteries in our heart too. And if we care about trees and waters and streams and children and babies and the elderly and all people and all the creatures, great and small, if we truly care about this earth and everything in it, we're all going to need to awaken our own inner shaman and make choices from there. And we can do it, but will we? I don't know what it will take. Frequently, we have to hit bottom before we can begin to start walking um, on that spiral path towards light. But it doesn't take everybody. It's not. It doesn't take everybody. This is the main thing I would say is in my kind of closing with this is that in the oyster or the clamshell, all it needs is one grain of sand to change and to create a pearl. That's all it needs. It does not need the whole beach. And I'm praying that human beings can be that way too. That it doesn't take a whole beach. You know, it doesn't take the waters being com completely polluted, the rainforest being completely gone, no air to breathe. That it's not going to take diseases and pestilence and war. That human beings could somehow let what's happening in the world be bad enough be a wake-up call enough and that it can be the sand in our shells, the grit, the thing that's causing us so much discomfort that we create the pearl within us, the pearl of great price, the pearl of innocence again, but also wisdom, the pearl of wisdom. And if we have wisdom, we're going to make better choices even when they're uncomfortable or difficult. And we can do that by supporting and loving each other. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw, deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, goddesswell.co. Goddesswell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self, specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power. 
specifically focusing on PMS, menopause, hormone and moon support, and urinary tract health. So what I love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high, high quality of CBD that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the Harmony line for harmony and mood. There's the Radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the Serenity line for UTI relief. And each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid and I say a little prayer and I connect with the medicine and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils and I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey and I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. So what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood, is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself, and she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code sisterhood and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. I am honored to be with our dear guest today, Linda Starwolf. And so to begin, she's going to cleanse the space and call in the directions. Hmm. Thank you, Shana. I'm lighting some beautiful sage right here in my medicine room in the mountains of Western North Carolina, the blue, magical blue mountains. Archaeologists have said may be the oldest mountain range in the world. Ancestors here are very, very, very strong, and I find them very loving and supportive, and that's a good thing. Mm. So I'd like to invite everybody that's tuning into this to just take a moment, and wherever you are, you can lie down, sit down, stand up, whatever you want to do. But just take a moment to close your eyes and take a nice, big, deep breath. And then exhale and let go fully. Just going to call in directions. And there's many ways to do this. This is not the only church in town. But this is the way that I've been taught. And it's the way that I feel comfortable with calling in the spirits. I'm going to begin in the east and call in the new day, the new beginning. Call in the first light of the day. Call in the element of air. And ask that our minds and our hearts be light as a feather. And that we call in the understanding that with the rise of each sun, each morning, we get to start all over again. So we call in the spirit keepers from the east, and we welcome them. 
Welcome, spirit keepers of the East. Then we go to the South, the place of the sun, of the heat, of the summer, time energy. And we call in the sacred energies of fire, the fire that transforms us, that moves the energy, that burns away that which is no longer needed, and that excites us and gives us passion for our dreams, our purpose, our life, for our beloveds. We call in all those spirit keepers that are guardians over the South. We welcome them. It's also the time of the noonday sun, the heat. And then we turn to the West. We turn to the West where there's the caves. Here in North Carolina, we have lots of bear caves. We call them the sacred heart cave, the womb cave, the place of the healing waters. And again, in North Carolina, they say there's more waterways underground waterfalls, rivers, streams, and the whole rest of the United States. The pure waters that are here and all around this country and all around the world. And the womb waters. We call in the sacred birthplace of everything, of new ideas, new dreams. And we know that in the West, we also dissolve and we know when it's time to release and to embrace shadows and transform ourselves in the sacred waters, surrendering. We welcome spirit keepers from the West. And then we turn to the North. The North is the place and all these places that I'm mentioning all have different creatures and animals and stones and ancestors. We're just doing a shorter version today, but I especially want to honor the North for a moment because it's the place of my tribe, which is the Wolf Tribe, the Wolf Clan, the clan of teachers, of planetary workers, of the ancestors, because it's the place of the stones and the bones of all that has come before, all stones, all sacred stones and elements in this place are all created from the creatures in the earth and from everything that has died and passed turns into the bones of the earth the great redwood trees all creatures all people so in the north is the place of the ancestors where they still hear our prayers and they listen and they whisper and sometimes they're quite loud but they whisper and they remind us who we are and that we too one day will be ancestors and that we need to find the wisdom not only for ourselves, but for the future generations. So we call this solid, if you will, stone energy, the embodiment of wisdom and welcome the energy of the great white wolf. Welcome spirit keepers from the north. We call in the great above. We call in the archetypes and the gods and the goddesses, and we call in great mystery and great spirit, celestial beings, 
interstellar beings, multidimensional beings. We call in all those things that we say the great above, although as a planet, when we face the truth, we're not really above, below, or any of those things. We're round, blue-green, beautiful earth, floating in the heavens, spinning around in all directions, all at once. But for our human selves, we can say the great above. Everything out there that's in those other worlds, we call on those spirits, any of those that are beneficent, that are loving, and that have our best interest at heart. We ask for their support on our human journeys. And then we call in the great below. As we've welcomed the above, we also welcome the below. And the below is actually the heart of the earth. It's going all the way down through all the layers of all the elements, through the crust, through the stones, the, all the way down to the diamonds and down further to the iron. And we get to the very core of Mother Earth. It's liquid and it's hot and it's like a volcano. And that energy is percolating and that life force energy. And it's a molten iron hot core. She's a hot mama. <laughs> so we want to honor her for all of her passion, for all of her heat, for the blood that she sends out through all her creatures and animals and trees and plants so that iron can be in our bodies, so that we're not anemic, so that we're passionate, so that we too have hot blooded energy. We thank her. We thank her. And we thank the Earth Father, the early Earth Fathers, the wild men, the green men, for watching over the planet and shepherding it with Mother Earth. And last but not least, we come to the great within. And this is where we call in our own spirit because we contribute to the whole. Rather than saying that human beings are born in sin, or that we're messed up in some way, which we can be sometimes. We are saying that we were chosen. We were born in blessing. We're born in blessing to get to have our spirits incarnated in a fleshy garment and to have the experience of getting to be human so that we may grow beyond anything our spirits ever imagined over time and space and as initiations and experiences that turn into wisdom for our souls. So we call on the great within, our own inner soul, and take a moment just to be with that, that you show up, that your special bright energy if you will, your, your inner shaman inside of you, that wise one inside of you that's still learning and growing. We welcome that great within and take a moment to listen and see if there's a message from the deepest part of yourself. And then take a deep breath. Exhale fully wherever you are. If you want to let out a sound, feel free to do so. I like the ah. 
And welcome everybody here. And thank you, Shana, for having me here and for allowing me to bring ceremony because this is what we women have always been doing from the beginning of time. We know how to do this even when we think we don't. And it nourishes us. And when we call it in for other people and groups and things, it nourishes them as well. Truly, truly. Thank you so much, Starwolf. So I want to introduce this precious human being that I'm here with today. It is such an honor to be with you. So Linda Starwolf has been a visionary teacher and shamanic guide to thousands of people over the past 35 years. Starting out as a therapist in the mental health and addictions field in the 1980s, Starwolf is a nationally certified alcohol and drug counselor who draws from her personal experience of recovery from addiction. She is the author of several books, the creator of Shamanic Breathwork, the co-creator of Shamanic Healing Initiatory Process, and the founder of the Venus Rising Association for Transformation a nonprofit organization, and founder and president of Venus Rising University for Shamanic Psycho-Spiritual Studies. Starwolf is also the co-founder of the Shamanic Mystery Tours and takes spiritual seekers all over the world to explore sacred shamanic sites. Dedicating her life to helping others to release dysfunctional patterns of all kinds and to radically transform their lives, Starwolf teaches people how to awaken to the bigger picture embody their own inner visionary shaman, and step into a life of passionate purpose. Her personal commitment to sacred activism and visionary leadership led her to create the Shamanic Ministers Global Network. She holds a Bachelor's of Science in Human Services from St. Leo College, a Doctorate of Ministry from Summit University, and a Doctorate of Philosophy and Religious Studies from the University of Integrative Learning. There's so much more here. She's done so many things. She, <laughs> I'm just going to say this last part. In 2003, Starwolf and her late husband, Brad Collins, co-founded the Isis Cove Community and Retreat Center in the Blue Mountains of Western North Carolina, from which she is calling in from today. Mm. Thank you. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but it seems that you've really been living your purpose. You've been following your instructions and and walking the walk. Yeah, I, did, I really didn't have a choice, Shane, if I wanted to live, if I wanted to stay on the planet. A lot of people think they have a choice. But I've learned over time that if people do not follow their inner GPS or guidance, if you will, and what they're here for, they frequently leave the planet prematurely or have an accident or are, you know, even if they're here, they're just kind of barely here, not really here. Yeah. So can you take us back to what happened, how you kind of were able to begin to hear your instructions because you, you did suffer with alcoholism? Mm-hmm. And yeah. how in that process of, of darkness, you know, of kind of uh, disruption, were you able to see who you were in yeah. that? Yeah. I actually really enjoy telling this story, you know, because I'm so far removed from it in, in the way I live my life. But I enjoy telling this story um, because it was an interesting time. 
You know, I was born in 1952, so I'm 70 years old. And I was emerging as a young teenager and a young woman in the 1960s. So my idols at the time all died before they were 30. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison. Uh, I don't know if you know who those people are, but they were the icons, you know, of rock and roll at that time. But also they were free spirits. They were breaking all the rules. You know, Janis Joplin, you know, threw off her bra and, you know, acted like one of the guys, you know, so to speak. And of course, Jimi Hendrix was a man of color and he was, you know, like the world's greatest guitar player at that time. It's like all of these different people that were, you know, psychedelic rock stars, the sixties. And it was, you know, peace, love, anti-war. There was so much coming up politically. You know, really, my father was a veteran, so he was very patriotic, and yet he started questioning things because of what he was seeing. And so there was so much that was coming up, and I was a ripe teenager, you know, for all of this. But I was also, like everybody I know and that I've worked with, had family of origin issues, had developed a healthy little shadow to take care of myself, and a big part of what my shadow was was at a very early age, my the person that I love the most that uh, really took care of me as a little girl, my grandmother, Mammy Jones, died unexpectedly when I was 12. And so I kind of went from this kind of innocent little child. I have a picture of myself here. You might not be able to see it very well, but I'm with my grandmother and my grandfather holding my chicken, Bessie Marie. And I was like, oh, I was maybe nine there, eight or nine. We lived on the farm and down the street from my parents. And I, I was spent most of my days because my parents worked with them. And so my Mammy Jones took this little girl who was maybe on the spectrum because I was a little different than a lot of other kids. They seemed to know the rules and how to do things. And I just was, didn't, I was clueless. <laughs> it's like you could put me in the garden or with my grandmother and talk about stars and aliens and magical stuff. And I was cool, but I didn't know all the, the social graces, so to speak, and, and how to fit in. So she died suddenly and I lost my faith in everything. I truly did. And my mother was very depressed and my father was trying to care for her. And that's when, you know, in, in 19, 64, my grandmother passed, is right when everything was happening in politics. There were riots in the streets in the United States. There were anti-war demonstrations going on. The National Guard shot people. It was a wild time. And from that, I was caught up in it. And my idols all died from alcohol and drug dependency before they were 30. And I don't say that I wanted to die. But I was following in their footsteps of, it wasn't just about using substances, it was about changing consciousness. And that was the only way I knew how to do it. But at 29, I had a really good reason to get sober. First of all, I had stopped all drugs at that point because I'd had an overdose with drugs and actually died and came back to life when I was 19. But I continued to drink to take care of my anxiety. And I worked during the day. I had a child. So I had a really good reason to stop because I had a little boy. And so I I stopped. You know, I, I got into recovery. I was already working already in mental health for other people. 
And it was time I practiced mental health for myself. And so I had a lot of help, a lot of support, and I was able to maintain that. Um, in March, it'll be 41 years since I dropped all of those kinds of substances. But it meant that I had to face life without crutches, without artificial substitutes for love. And that's where I really, really found uh, my deep spirituality. I've written about it quite a bit. In fact, I, this book that just came out last year on shamanic breathwork. Um, and this is the nature of change. It's not just me. It's, a, it's myself and a lot of my students who are do the work talk about those breakthrough moments in their life. And I talk about, you know, the recovery and about dying in order to die. And out of that, not only did I continue to work with addiction and mental health, which was my specialty. I've been doing that since I was 21 years old. But I discovered that everything I was dealing with had a shamanic component to it. I'd never even heard the word really shaman. I mean, people said that that Jim Morrison was a shaman, but didn't really know what that meant. So it was just beginning, people just beginning to talk about what a shaman was, you know, what that might be. And that's when I really began to uh, look for everything I could find around shamanism. And it's where I discovered, discovered breath work and lots of different things that have led me to this path where I am now. So there's been many things that brought me a long ways over the past 41 years, many, many. I imagine that 40 years ago, finding these maybe holistic ways of healing oneself was probably harder to find. <laughs> I'm curious about like the magic in that path, because I know that there is some magic involved when you're on your own healing path and kind of what transpired or maybe any stories that you have to share about when you went seeking what you found. What you have just said, it's interesting, not too many people say that. And that takes a lot of wisdom to really know that. At that time, you know how everything is on the internet now and on Facebook and everywhere, you know, and it's like, do this and do that and cacao and dancing and trance and vision quest and medicine quill and, you know, everything you can think of. It's like a, a what is it, cornucopia of healing. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It can also be a little confusing sometimes, like, what do I do or what's real, what's not? But of course, there was, no, you know, the internet wasn't around. <laughs> You know, it's hard to believe I know. There was no such thing as cell phones. I didn't have a computer until, you know, until I was close to 50 because nobody had personal computers unless you worked at a, you know, some sort of place where you had to have a computer, that sort of thing. So it was a very, very different world. I mean, extremely different. So if you wanted to find, if you lived in Madisonville, Kentucky, you know, and you wanted to find a shaman or a healer. Now, there were probably some around because my grandmother that I just showed you, she was kind of a renegade Baptist Celtic witch herself. You know, that taught me about fairies and aliens and Jesus in the same breath. That was that down home kind of, you know, shamanic grandmother. But as far as there was no workshop teachers or leaders, that sort of thing. Who was around that I had read about was Ram Das, 
and who'd written, written when I was in college, Be Here Now. So I was, and then um, and there were some radicals that I had read. Ram Das, who had gone from being a psychologist in a multimillionaire family to being a guru. And so I had read his stuff. But there really were like a handful of books. Carlos Castaneda came out after that, some years after all that, after I was a, a young mother and those kinds of things. But what did happen is I lived in a little small community outside of um, my hometown up into kind of in the, I guess you could say in the rural area, because it was just a very small town. It was like 50 people. And one of the women there, who was a couple of years younger than me, I was, think I was 30 and she was like 28, was Cherokee. And we developed a friendship. And at first she was a little suspicious, suspicious of me and I was a little suspicious of her. But we became friends. We, we still connect. She lives in New York on the reservation now there. But we're still friends. And I innocently said, you know, like, you know, I know all about psychic stuff and, you know, reincarnation and all these other things because what there was that was available. You know, Edgar Casey's work, things like that. And Edgar Casey grew up and lived a half hour from where I lived in Madisonville. And so psychism was around and there was kind of people sneaking off to get their palms read or uh, get a reading or something like that from a psychic. But I started talking with her and I started asking her innocently about Native American rituals and ceremonies. And she was very tight-lipped, like, nope, you know, we'll be friends, but I'm not going to talk to you about that. And so I said, okay, you know, I, I didn't understand why that was a problem. A little later on, she had some problems with sobriety and I helped her get into treatment. And she got sober, changed her life radically. And she came back and said, you know, I understand now that, um, you know, everybody has a higher power and it all goes with different names. And you asked me before, and if you'd still like to learn, I, I would share some things with you. So my very first sweat lodge, I, I have to tell you this story because I think you're going to laugh, laugh and, and have fun with it. She asked me if I would wanted to do a, a purification lodge at her house and so we built a little lodge in her backyard, actually in a cornfield. And there were these old skins that I don't know where she forgot them. They were horrible and put them over the, the lodge. And then it started pouring down rain and she, there was a fire and she said, you're going to be my firekeeper. Later on, years later, I found out that people had to train to be a firekeeper. But I'm just like, okay. And I had a pitchfork and she said, now take off all your clothes. It's nighttime. And I'm like, it was summer. I was like, okay. So she went on into the lodge where it was nice and dry. <laughs> and I sit out in the rain with a pitchfork naked with some boots on, <laughs> tending a fire, trying to keep it from going out to heat up the rocks. I didn't know what I was doing. Eventually, she said, bring the rocks in. And I did. I was so glad to get out of the, the rain. And she laughed and she teased me because I had been, there had been some some church ministers in town because of hearing that I was doing certain things with breath work and things like this, they were calling me in my little town, an agent, an agent of the devil. Mm. And that really deeply hurt my feelings because I was trying to help people and do all kinds of stuff, which really was working. And they're calling me an agent of the devil. Now I have to tell you, it just broke my heart today. I'm going to add it to my resume. <laughs> you know why not agent of the devil okay I, I work with the shadow it's true 
but I also work with the light. But people said, you should add that. You know, that's unique. You should add it to your resume. But anyway, <laughs> probably not. But anyway, when I went into the lodge, she teased me and she said, well, you wonder why they call you an agent of the devil. Well, and I said, what do you mean? She said, you're standing out there naked with a pitchfork in the rain, <laughs> you know, over a fire. <laughs> So we've we've laughed, had a good laugh about that for a long time. But that was just one of many things. And I'm going to skip up a little bit because she did this one ceremony. She said, um, I'd helped her with her addictions and healing and stuff. And she said, and, you know, mental health stuff. And she said, you know, I believe that you need an ancestor healing. She said, you told me about your grandmother. And I think you're really still, I think that's what your addiction was about. I think that's what even though you're no longer, you know, using substances, I, I think that you're still grieving. And I just lost it. I just sobbed. And so she did a healing journey for me, an ancestral healing journey for me and soul retrieval. And then she said, and I felt it. I felt released. And she said, but you need a new grandmother, a new elder. And she gave me a, a a tape. We did it on a tape where you have to hit like this and while she was talking and push the buttons down and she taped it. And then I took it home and listened to it every day for 30 days. And the tape was to find a grandmother that my grandmother would send to me that would, that was still on the planet and that would help me. And she said, we women need grandmothers. Not we need mothers, but we need grandmothers, wisdom keepers. And lo and behold, in that journey that she gave me, I went, uh, I was doing it every day. And some days I was distracted and other days I could think I could see a grandmother. But towards the end of the 30 day period, I went into a deep trance and I went into an underground kiva off of this starlight. And I was aware of being in a deep place. And then I felt that I was sitting on the floor of a cave with my head in somebody's lap. They were stroking my hair. And she said, gentle wolf, my gentle star wolf. And I just started sobbing. And I didn't know who it was, but I opened my eyes very quickly in the vision. And I saw this beautiful woman twinkling eyes, mischievous. I couldn't tell if she was 40 or 140. And her hair was white. And she was gazing at me with the same kind of love that my Mammy Jones had for me. And I just wept of joy. And then I looked at her and it was like I when she called me, you know, gentle. she said, my gentle wolf, my gentle star wolf. And then I looked up at her and she disappeared. And then I came out of the, the vision. So I called Teresa. I told her all about it. She said, Oh my God, you know, you've, you, now you've got to find her in the outer world. And I'm like, how? I mean, there was, there's no Googling. There's no nothing, you know, like where, how and whatever. And she said, I, you know, I don't know. Describe her some more. And, and I described her and, and the, about the wolf and all this kind of stuff. She said, you know, there's a, there is a wolf clan grandmother up in New York on the Cataragus Indian Reservation. And she said, I don't, I think I'll find her name and I'll, I'll try and see if I, I think this is who it is. So long story short, it, it was a while 
you know, um, before she, cause she had to write somebody a letter, you know, and somebody had to write her back and then they directed her to somebody else. And then she called them and then, then she sent me some information and the, uh, of grandmother Twyla Nitch. So one day I got very brave and I went on my phone, my corded telephone and dialed information. And I asked for Twyla Nitch on the Cataragus reservation. And they gave me a phone number. They said, there's a T niche. So I thought, that's Twyla. And so I dialed my phone number and I called and a woman answered the phone. It sounded like a young woman. She answered the phone and she said, hello. And I said, hello. And she said, can I help you? And I said, could I speak to grandmother Twyla? I thought, oh my God, they're going to think I'm crazy, you know? And she said, just a minute. I thought, oh, my God, it must be Twyla. You know, it must be her house, you know, because it was just tea niche on there. And it could be a lot of niches. Then the next thing I know, the woman that I was speaking to came back and she said, Graham wants to know when you're coming. I said, where? She said, she wants to know when you're coming here to the reservation. I'm like, I live in Kentucky. I have a full-time job at the hospital running a treatment center. I have an adolescent son and playing baseball in school. I, you know, she says, she said, she'll see you next week. And I'm like, well, what's the address? She said, just come to the reservation and ask for grandmother Twyla. So that was it. And then she hung up, <laughs> you know? So there's a bigger story to that, but I'll, let me just say that the end result is I went by myself. I went there and I, I couldn't find it. It took me forever. And then I finally went up an old road to a house that I thought might be hers. And it said, no trespassing. It had crossbones on it. And I just thought, ah. And I went up and parked around the back of the house. And I thought, I'm either going to get shot, you know, or white woman, white hair, blonde hair, blue eyes on this reservation. Uh, this is probably not a good thing. As I stepped into the backyard, and there was these big mature trees around this old homestead. Out the back door, off this little screen porch, this woman stepped out and she was about 30 feet from me and started walking to where I was. And I literally almost passed out because it was her. It was the woman from my vision. And I just started shaking all over. And I couldn't say anything like, I'm sorry to pull up in your driveway. Are you Twilight? I couldn't say anything. She walked right up to me and you have to be pretty short for me to look down since I'm 5'3". But I thought she was about 10 foot tall as she was walking towards me. Her energy was so big. And when she got right in front of me, she stopped and she put her hands on my shoulders and kind of shook me. <laughs> I thought she was going to say, what are you doing in my yard? And I just looked at her and she said, her first words to me were, not hello, nothing. I gave you a name. What was it? I was hoping I was going to get it right. <laughs> I just said, Star Wolf? And she said, that's right. She turned around and started walking back in the house. And she said, come on. So I started walking. And I just didn't, I didn't know which end was up. And then this little doubt came in my brain. And I went, now, if she, if she really knew that you know, knew it was me and gave me this name, you know, why didn't she just say, hello, Star Wolf, you know? 
And she must have read my thoughts because she turned around and she said, and I gave you that name in an underground Kiva. Now, come on. <laughs> so I just went in and that was the beginning of our relationship. And until she passed, she was, you know, my teacher and she's still my teacher. And she passed when she was 94. And that, I believe, was 2011 when she passed uh, to the other side. There's lots of Grandmother Twilight stories, but this is, she had a gathering. She asked me to put on a gathering outside of San Francisco for her, for elder teachers from many different tribes and nations. And I didn't know how to do that either, but I did it, <laughs> pulled them together. We had people from New Zealand, you know, Maori, um, from all around the world, Australia and different tribes. And um, I was sitting down beside her and uh, somebody snapped this picture on a, just a regular old camera years ago, and I didn't see them do it, and they mailed it to me. Wow. And I'm sitting there, and her hand is on my head, exactly the vision I had all those years before in that underground kiva when I first met her. This might be one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. <laughs> So I sent her a picture like this, too. And she said, ha, ha, they captured us, didn't they? Just like when I first met you. So these two, the reason I brought this here, I keep these on my altars. And that's my grandfather in there, too. And he was a great man, Pappy Jones, Mammy and Pappy, and Bessie Marie, the hen. But anyway, these grandmothers are divine feminines. They're sacred feminines. And this you're going to love. They're both Sagittarians. Hmm. Grandmother Twyla's birthday was December 6th. And my grandmother, my Mammy Jones, was December 8th in the same year. Wow. This, they were born in the same year, three day, two days apart. <laughs> so I really did... I really do believe that my Mammy Jones sent me on that journey to Grandmother Twyla and that there was a soul agreement that I would go through what I went through, go into my addictions and all the things, you know, the shadows, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to take on not me in order to be able to find our ways out of that to who we really are. And then that's our medicine. If you're walking a medicine path, if you're walking a shamanic medicine path, you're not walking a path of light only. You're not walking a path of dark only. And my other great teacher, Jacqueline Small, who's still with us and is close to 90 now, uh, was my first breathwork teacher. She and Stan Groff and Christina Groff. She said, the light, the dark, no difference. When you have a heart of gold and when you are seeking to do great mystery, she called it great spirit. Well, she called it God, but great spirit, great mysteries will. You know that you must welcome the light and the shadow so that you can find your way through. And that's what makes you a healer. It's not a degree. I have the degrees. That's not what made me a healer. That's not what made me a shaman. It's not. What made me a shaman was my own shadow, my own pain and suffering, my own heartbreak, my own disillusionment, 
the death of loved ones, the, the death of my own self-respect at some time. When you go into the depths of your own heart and your own woundedness, you learn it from the inside out. You know, and it doesn't have to be, you know, drugs or alcohol. You know, it can be the death of a loved one. It can be um, a divorce. You know, it can be disillusionment in your faith in some way. You know, there's so many ways that we receive these initiations. You know, just I could speak for hours on just this and what I've been through in my life. Um, I've lived a, quite a while and lived to tell the tale. And I have to say with everything that I've been through, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. I feel the most fulfilled that I've ever felt in my life. And I feel the most on purpose. And some people say, well, you're 70. Are you going to start winding down? And I said, are you kidding? I feel like I'm just beginning. I, you know, Sagittarians are known to like, you know, do their sacred work until they die. That's just who they are. You know, it's like, well, what else am I going to do? You know, this is what I'm here for. I've got children. I've got grandchildren. I've got lots of responsibilities. I've got chickens. But, you know, I have a lot to say. And it's not just from, I like to read. I have I incredible amount of books. But um, what I'm sharing from is my experience. From my teacher's wisdom. From my lineage. Hmm. I have so much, I have so many feelings around what you just shared because it brought up, I said that it was one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. And I think it's because it brings that magic of the path, the magic of life, the magic of saying yes, the magic of understanding your own medicine, the magic of transforming and healing oneself, and then the blessings that are given to you on that path. Like I, I'm 32, so I'm, I'm kind of at the place where I'm just meeting my teacher you know, very mm. similar to what I've been through. Mine was around my health and my own healing. I suffered with all kinds of health ailments. And my teacher kind of yes. called to me in a similar way. I felt like it was more like, caca, caca. And then I heard this call <laughs> and it was like this deep remembrance. But yeah, I just, I am really grateful for everything that you're sharing because I just see the beauty in the work and the beauty in the hardship also, because that's like what makes the medicine. Yes. The hardship makes the medicine, and that's okay. You haven't done anything wrong when you're sick, you know, and some of the New Age movement makes you feel guilty if you go through something, you know, like, you know, you're being punished or even, you know, fundamentalist uh, religions, you're being punished, you know, uh, well, it's your bad karma or, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, just because somebody has a little piece of the truth, They'll twist it sometimes to kind of manipulate things, especially organizations or, unfortunately, religions and things like that. But we came here to take on karma. You know, how do we know that? Because we did it. You know, we came here to take on karma. We came here to take on the light and the dark of this planet. And much like the earthworm, to turn it into hummus. You know, and I call it holy something sometimes, you know, but it's, you know, it is the, the decay of, of the old and working it like the earthworm until it turns into something that's so, you know, we couldn't exist on this planet without earthworms. And if they didn't break down everything that was old and dead and rotten and break it down and make it decay into rich hummus, into rich, 
you know, the earth itself, there would be, though nobody would be here. And at another octave, we don't advance just by meditation. I don't want to upset meditators because I, you know, I think meditation is beautiful and yoga is beautiful and the gurus sitting in the cave holding space for the world is beautiful. But you only need a few of those gurus in the, in the caves holding that space. You mainly need people to maybe meditate to get clear about what they need to do, you know, and then clean up their own act, you know, and become authentic and own their own shadows and work with the shadow, not just the light, because it's very easy to set sequestered away someplace. It, you might be irritated, may not be able to be perfectly in a post posture, but it's very easy to withdraw. And to just say, you know, remove myself from the world and I'll be holy. But if we're going to do what we came here to do, which is to be fully embodied, you know, heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit and in the world, you know, and Christianity says be in the world. You just don't have to be of it, you know, be in it, be participating and paying attention to what's happening in the world. You know, it's important to be aware. You know, sometimes I have to turn it all off and say, I'm conscious enough. I can't take any more right now. I'm going to go walk in the woods and I'm going to turn off everything, go back to nature. I'm going to get the wisdom I need there. But getting that wisdom is not just for me alone. That's a very selfish concept. You know, I, I love what Grandmother Twyla used to say. She said, you know, you're all needed. We're all needed. And she said, if we were just supposed to be sovereign and just supposed to be, you know, here, just you know, if we if we weren't supposed to connect with each other and do this dance with one another, light and dark dance, the creator would have only made one of us. So it's like, oh, that's good. Look what I made, you know. And she said, but obviously we're all needed. There's no mistake that any soul ever incarnates ever. And we're all needed to do this dance we're doing together. It's not a mistake. Not even if your mom said, you know, I, you're unintentional. It was an accident. It's not true. She said, it's very hard. And I believe her. I love her stories. And so I'm just, I choose to believe them. She said, on the other side of the veils, people line up like with lottery tickets, hoping to get an opportunity to come to earth. And I said, really? Are there other planets where it's not so hard or this or that? And she said, but that's the point. She said, think about when you go to an amusement ride someplace. You know, and the people that get on the merry-go-round, there's five, you know, 20 little kids or something or in the go-go carts. But let there be a roller coaster that scares the heck out of people. And then there's like a line that's waiting four hours to get on there to be scared spitless for five minutes or less, you know? She said, well, that's how we're made. Well, on this side, we're like, wow, what a roller coaster life is being human is. Let me on. She said, of course. We get here, we go through everything, we go through the innocence, we get our hearts broken as infants or children or teenagers or adults over and over. And it's just like, this is a hard place. Why am I here? You know, how did I create this? How did I screw up? Or why did they do that? And we go into victim mode. And she said, of course, things happen to us that are horrific. And she said, and we need to do the work, especially Jacqueline Small. She taught, she was a transpersonal psychologist. She was amazing. She's still amazing. She's still on the planet. And she would say, 
But none of that happened by accident. It happened by, I love it, by divine appointment. It happened by divine appointment so that you could heal it and transform it. And then you actually become, and she said, an expert in that area, much more so than anybody else. And you will attract to you the people who are vibing to you. Those are her words, Jacqueline's. You will be, they will be attracted to you because they will feel your frequency and vibration and they will find you just like you found me, she said, and like you found Grandmother Twyla. It would have been impossible almost, but it wasn't because we were destined to meet one another. You know, Jacqueline's really responsible for my sobriety because I met her a year before because I was already a social worker. And I had to go get some CEUs. And I went to this conference grudgingly. I was actually hungover. And I went to it. It was very boring. And the last person they brought up was this woman that stood on the stage. And she said, okay, I want everybody to close their eyes. Now, you have to understand, in Western Kentucky, at a hotel conference room in the 1980s, Nobody in the whole world went into any conference room in the whole United States anywhere and asked people to close their eyes and rang Tibetan bells. It just didn't happen. So this woman in high heels and pantyhose and a nice little suit stands up, and she's probably in her 40s. I was 28. And she stands up there, and she clangs these Tibetan bells, and I went into orbit. Of course, I did a lot of acid in my younger years. It didn't take much. But anyway, I went into orbit, and... She starts talking, and I knew her voice. And the next thing I know, she's taken us on this journey with Tibetan music and Tibetan monks chanting on a tape in a tape player. And when I came out of it, I thought, I don't know who she is. There's probably like 500 people in this room. I'm going up and introducing myself to her. She's going to think I'm crazy. And I went up to her, and I introduced myself, and she said, come up to my room. And she said, we're having a little um thing for all the teachers that were teaching. But come on up. And I thought, me? And I went up there and I sat with her. And she talked to just me, nobody else, for an hour. And she had my number. She looked at me and she said, you know, I, I told her I was a social worker. And I was also a, worked with alcoholics. <laughs> and she said to me, she looked me right in the eyes. She said, go home, read my books, get sober. And someday you'll work with me. I didn't tell her I had a drinking problem. And shortly after, I, I, I just hugged her and I left and I cried and I went home. And anyway, shortly after that, I got sober after reading her books. And she would send me a letter about once a month because that was the only really way to talk to each other. And she would just say, how are you doing? And I love you. This woman was world famous. When I finally went to work with her, the people we had, and I don't know if these will mean anything to you, but the people we had in our circles as our teachers were Ram Das, Marion Woodman, who's very famous with uh, with um, psychoanalysis and Jungian psychology, you know, Andrew Weil, who's a medical healer that's still around. Most of the people are gone. Most uh, Stan Groff, Christina Groff from Holotropic Breathwork. It, it was this long list of people that were in there. See, I was only in like my early thirties at this point. 
and they were all in their, they were old, they were in their fifties. <laughs> they were there, you know, I thought, oh, you know, these are old people. They were in their fifties, sixties, seventies, Barbara Marks Hubbard. Anyway, if you look at any of these people up, if you don't know who they are, they are the forerunners of all the consciousness things that are happening right now. And I'm just this little girl from Madisonville, Kentucky, sitting at the feet of these people, just saying, thank you, God. <laughs> and it gave me the courage over time. It took, it took me about 15 years, but it gave me the courage to finally break out of the system I was working in and to start my own business. My first business was Recovery and Discovery Counseling Services with Linda Star Wolf. That was my first gig in Kentucky outside of my, all my little, you know, of working at the mental health center, working at the hospital, being a, a case manager, those kinds of things. And my world was changed forever. I never went back because people could come into my office and we would drum and we would smudge and I would breathe them and tell them, you know, stories and hear their stories. And so many of the, a lot of them were women, mainly women at first. So many of the women, especially in a town like that, were victims of sex abuse, of incest. Um, many were, many, many were still being violently abused by, I hate to sound, you know, stereotypical, but it's true, being violently beaten by their alcoholic husbands. Many of them had gone into addiction themselves to deal with their pain and suffering, you know, and so it was multi-generational going down to their children. So I did a lot of work with women and just loved them and they breathed. And I'll tell you, once those women did shamanic breath work and did shamanic ceremonies, they changed. They changed. And this um, one man came to me. I didn't just see women, but I had mainly women. But this one man who's a lawyer came to me and asked me if he could come have a session. And I said, yes. And he came in. He said, first of all, I want to thank the women who has put my two teenage children through college. I said, how did I do that? He said, I'm a divorce attorney. <laughs> and I said, oh, I don't feel good about that. And he said, well, you should, because those women probably are alive or at least still have brain cells because you helped them get out of those relationships. He was, an, he was a good man. And he said, and I said, I want to go meet this woman. Not only did she put my kids through college, but I've got some stuff I need to work on. So, yeah. He, and uh, you'll love this, this other little piece. Years later, when I was living in California and Grandmother Twyla had you know, said to me, you know, you've gone through your divorce and everything. Why don't you change your name instead of just having... You know, do you want, cause I said, you know, I was thinking about going back to my maiden name. She said, why don't you take your real name? You know, keep Linda and, and take Star Wolf. She said, because that's who you really are. That's who you've been for a long time. So I went back to my hometown to visit my parents and I called Bill up and he was a friend and the attorney. And I said, could you help me do a main name change? And he said, well, it's rather complicated, but yeah, we could do that. He said, what are you up to? And so I told him and he laughed. He said, okay. That's weird, but okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he said, he called me back and he said, come down to the courthouse for a minute. I said, okay. So I went down. He gave me some papers. He said, sign these. I signed them. He said, I'll be back in a minute. He went in. He came back out and he said, 
So, Linda Starwolf, you know, congratulations. I said, what? He said, you're now legally Linda Starwolf. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're no longer Linda Piscatella. You're, you are Linda Starwolf. I was in shock. I said, I thought we had to fill out a bunch of papers, send them off. He said, not when you go and a judge, okay, so they can do it immediately. I didn't have a chance to think twice. <laughs> wow. I love, I love hearing your stories. Yeah, I love hearing your stories. It also just like reminds me of um, how the path is not linear, right? But it kind of weaves. Like you didn't adopt no. Star Wolf right away. It came when Grandmother Twyla was reminding you of who you are and your name. And so, yeah, it just helps me remember the context of everything is much different than we imagine it to be. That's like fast and linear and clear. (laughs) No, darling, it is a spiral path. And that is the first core teaching that we teach with my organization. With my program, we have a program called SHIP. Shamanic Healing Initiatory Process. Originally, I was going to call it Shamanic Healing Initiatory Training. And someone pointed out that that (laughs) SAT was probably not the best thing for my program. And I said, well, we deal with a lot of it, but no. So we changed it to process. (laughs) So Shamanic Healing Initiatory Process. And in that, there's six initiations. So when people, like we just did a two-week online training and people were with us for five hours every night for 14 days and they have to have the camera on and be there. None of this recorded training. And so they have to be on. And the first, very first initiation, it's like, and this is where you have to um, either get with it or leave. The very first one they that you do is called the spiral. And we talk about the difference between being a linear path, and we go into that, what that looks like, the patriarchal path. And then we talk about how many women, including myself, for a while tried to go backwards and go to the circle, go to, instead of the phallic, go to the the womb, which I, you know, um, there's healing in both of those, obviously, with the masculine and feminine. But just going completely back into the feminine doesn't really heal the problem. It's a good place to go, though, for your own healing. Because I'd worked a lot with women and worked more in womb circles and things like that. But ultimately, if you're going to be whole, if you're going to integrate yourself, there needs to be a sacred marriage. And that's the spiral. Because on the spiral, you're doing a circular motion. But you're also, if you take it like a slinky toy, like we used to have when we were kids, and the wire, you take it out. There is a linear path. But it's not a straight line. So you are moving forward. But at the same time, each time you are going in a circle to move forward. So that's really the perfect combination of yin and yang or masculine and feminine is the spiral. And it's an integration that's really within our own psyches. And so if you look back at the most ancient of medicine wheels and petroglyphs and hieroglyphs, in the caves and temples and shrines, it's spirals, whether it's in Ireland, Scotland, Egypt, I've been all these places, Africa, everywhere. The spirals are the oldest symbol of how we change and how we transform from the caterpillar spinning around in its spiral into a cocoon, you know, to the air currents. They don't just move through the sky. They move in spiraling patterns. 
The ocean's the same way. Underneath, they move in spiraling waves. They don't just move like this. There's nothing that goes in a straight line except human beings falsely trying to make things be perfect instead of accepting light and shadow. So that's the first teaching in, is about the spiral path. And there's other teachings as well. But unless that's part of your language, there's not really any point to take the rest of the initiations because they build on that. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the first initiation in SHIP. Wow, that touches me so deeply. I, it was maybe three or four years ago that I was going to meet a guy for coffee, and I, I never have tattooed myself anywhere. And right before I was about to get this cup of coffee, I passed a tattoo parlor, and all of a sudden, I just like imagined myself with this spiral tattoo. And it's so interesting. I'm having this like pretty psychedelic experience right now, like looking at the spiral behind Woo! you. There's also a a picture that I have drawn that's a spiral like this, kind of like you're talking about a slinky. And in it is my Yawanawa name. I have an indigenous name, Nye. And when I wrote my name, I did the spiral like this. And so my name is in between these two spiral spheres, but I never thought about it. I never thought about it until this very moment as you're describing it. And I'm having this like really deep experience <laughs> like being touched uh, well, by you. Breathe that in. Don't just really breathe that in. Take a moment. We don't have to rush for a minute. Put your hand. What I would ask you to do is put your hand down on your womb space, on your belly and your womb, and then put one heart on your hand on your heart womb because the heart is a womb as well. It's also where we incubate our creativity and our dharma and our path and our soul purpose. So just feel it in your heart and feel it in your womb. You know, I say, when you have your hand on your heart, you have a womb with a view. You know, I really feel that. And acknowledge that initiation. We skip past them so quickly sometimes, looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that's going to make us whole. Yeah. Yeah. Just hold on to that for a moment. Feel it. There's no, you know, accident that, you know, when talking about the spiral, I could have talked about anything, you know, and I'm sure many people will hear this and some people are really going to be like you, Shane, and really relate to it. For others, maybe not so much, but especially if you've been connected to it as part of your medicine already, your womb and your heart already know this medicine. It's remembering. We're not learning. We're remembering. And Jacqueline Small said that so long ago to me. When we were doing breath work and I was like, how do I know all these things and these archetypes and this and that? And I was like a little kid in a candy store. And she said, honey, you're just remembering. You're remembering. Breathe into it. And totally up to you, but if you want to let a sound out from that place, just rubbing your belly and your heart, just let it out.
<sighs> yeah. Letting the sound out is really beautiful because it vibrates in a spiral. It wells up inside of you. It connects with your brain. Your brain has to give permission to make the sound. And making the sound makes it more real. It's when spirit becomes flesh. When the word is spoken. The word is made flesh. The healing is made flesh. It's embodied, is what that's saying. It's embodied. Hmm. Thank you for holding me there. <laughs> hmm. And it turns into not just a lesson or a symbol, it turns into part of your medicine and your wisdom that you share with others. <sighs> mm. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I <laughs> want to ask you about this, this feeling that I can often have that actually is becoming less pronounced, thank God. But it's around this this magical path that we're talking about where the teacher arrives when you're ready and the, the, the magic arrives when you're ready and all these kinds of things. And sometimes I can, I can feel like unworthy. And I can mm. feel like, why me? You know, like I know I have a mission. I know that. And I know that I'm receiving this because I have a mission. But why, why then do I start to feel this, this unworthiness? And so I'm curious if you can share something mm -hmm. about that. Sure, I think a lot of us feel that. I felt that when Jacqueline Small said to me, "Get sober, and you know you can work with me." And I thought, "Well, you don't even know if I'm an alcoholic." But she, you know, she could see, you know, because she was a seer. She still is. I didn't feel worthy, you know. I didn't feel worthy at that time, and yet she saw who I was. She didn't care that I had an alcohol problem. She cared, but she just like, you know, do what you need to do and get over it, so you can work with me, <laughs> you know, and. What, you know, she would used to say to me, you know, like all those things, Star Wolf, you know, that you've worked through in your life, all your family of origin stuff and your stuff up around, you know, losing the person you love most and being abandoned by that when she died and, you know, being this only child and being this weird little kind of kid that nowadays people really support children being like that. But, you know, my rest of my family just kind of wanted me to be normal and I wanted to be normal, but I wasn't like a lot of the other kids, although I think all children are sensitive, but I had a little extra dose, if you know what I mean, you know? So it's like, I felt defective a good portion of my life. At the same time, there was, I was very happy in a lot of ways. And I was very, you know, a little earth child. I was always barefooted and with animals and, you know, talked to spirits, but I also felt like that I was different and that there was maybe something wrong with me. And I think I scared my mom because I was like her mother, my Mammy Jones was, we were two peas in a pod and my mom didn't want to be like that. So I think it scared her when you have dreams and they come, you tell them and they come true. And she saw me, she said, you're a prophet, you know? And so my mom just, it scared her. So rather than feeling that those were gifts, I felt defective and I had a, 
a, a, I hate to say this, but a nasty group of little girls who called me a witch and it wasn't a good thing. It was not a good thing. And they said I was of the devil and things like that as a little girl. So, you know, it's, and then that happened later on as I was working in that community with the, some of the people. So now I've so embodied who I am. People say, are you a witch? And I go, of course I'm a witch, <laughs> you know? And so I told my mom, she's 91, she'll be 92. And she said, well, I always knew it. <laughs> and I said, how did you know? And she said, because when you were a little girl, I would read you fairy tales. And she said, instead of being like, you know, this princess, you'd always walk around and go, I'm a witch. I'm a witch. I had said, I have no memory of that. None. Zero. I said, you're making this up. She said, no. She said, you go. She said, I'd try to get a princess something for you. And you go, no, I'm a witch. I'm a witch. <laughs> I have no memory of that. I don't know if she made that up or not. You know, it's hard to tell about my mom. But the truth is, is that my mother is a reluctant witch. My mother, she always knows everything that's going on, at, even at 90, almost 92. And she has dreams and she tells them and they come true all the time. Or she'll call me up and say something to me. And it's so clear to me that she's been in my psyche and knows what's going on. She has a little bit of dimension now. Now she's even more so. So she's definitely a witch, <laughs> whether I am or not, maybe not, but she definitely is. But the point about this is just that loving the earth, loving nature the way I do and the way I can see that you do, and understanding that we're a part of nature makes all of us part of nature, makes all of us connected to the elements and traditionally to what people thought of as witches or shamans. It, you know, it's part of our, of humanity's lineage if we want it, if we want to embrace it. But if we separate ourselves from it, frequently we do get sick. You know, we do get sick and, and our gifts can't come forward. You know, they just can't come forward because we've blocked them and we're afraid of them. It feels really, really good, Shana, to be in this place in my life. This is the happiest I've ever been where breath work is. I'll tell you this one thing, the shadow thing. I said one time, you know, I do shamanic breath work. This was like 35 years ago. It was before I'd actually trademarked it. It's about 30 years ago, but 35 years ago, I said to somebody, I do shamanic breath work. And they said, did you say satanic breast work? <laughs> satanic breast work <laughs> what would that be i can't even imagine what that is but it that that was the closest that they could get to to understand what i was doing and i said well first of all i don't do anything satanic never have don't plan on it in this lifetime you know and um each to their own and breast work you know i've done some tantra stuff where i did some breast work, I guess, you know, but this is, you know, this <laughs> shamanic breath work is breath work that leads us back to the spiral path and to healing our bodies and our old programs and to remembering our guides and having ancestral healing and healing the shadow. And so, no, it's not shamanic or satanic breast work. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, they probably have that somewhere now. You could probably find it on the internet, but you know, I'm not part of it. It's not my school. <laughs> I ordained people as shamanic ministers, and I started that movement in the United States. There was no such thing as ordained ministers. There were plenty of people, I'm sure, who were doing shamanic work or who were ministers or whatever, but there wasn't a title. So I fought and wrestled with the United States government for a while to legally be called a shamanic minister. And then I argued with them that I had been a minister for a long time because I had been ordained a long time before that. And that I also um, wanted to ordain other people. And that's when I created SHIP because you have to have a curriculum and you have to have your, uh, to ordain be an ordainment board. You have to have your um, your own version of your own Ten Commandments and your, you know, or whatever, your own Torah. You have to have your own body of work of religion. They call it religious teachings. And, um, but I call it spiritual teachings. But legally, it's religious teachings. And so I have ordained a ton of shamanic ministers, and we just did a whole group um, last week that that completed their two week training of being on every night and going through six breath works, six initiations, process groups, on and on and on before they can be ministers and before they can be shamanic breathwork facilitators. They can't become a shamanic breathwork facilitator until they have learned how to take people through processes and how to do their own inner work. Unlike anybody can go out and become a psychologist or a therapist, probably they end up doing some inner work just from, like I did on the site, kind of like vicariously through others. But you don't have to do inner work to become a psychologist or a therapist or a social worker. That's kind of scary. You know, that's kind of scary that people can go and read about it and take tests and become counselors and therapists. That's true. You know, really, I could always tell when I was sitting across from someone who had not nearly gone nearly as deep as I had in my world. And, you know, I wouldn't go back to that person. But I, you know, I always say if, if I'm going to have somebody paint my house, I want to know they've painted a house their own first. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. didn't just read about it. I want to ask you about your new book, your 13th book, The Aquarian Shamanism. So the new book that's coming out, it won't come out until next year, probably next spring, I'm hoping. I'm hoping it'll come on my 42nd sobriety anniversary. And the thing about publishing companies is that you can ask for the title you want, but sometimes they have the marketing department has their ideas about what you should name your book. I have 13 books, and out of that, I think uh, two of them actually got the title that I wanted. And the others... um, are close, but you know, not radically different, but it wasn't my first choice. But I'm really going to cry if they don't let me name this one the way I want. I want to call this one Aquarian Shaman. And I'd like to have a, the subtitle with it of um, something like the Aquarian Shaman Wisdom for a Changing World. And because I do believe that we, I was just speaking to a good friend of mine who's a master astrologer yesterday that I've known for a very long time. And she said to me, I think we have fully, with astrologically what's been happening, uh, especially on solstice, winter solstice of this past year, because of some certain aspects that we have entered 
officially the Aquarian age. And she said, and you know, Star Wolf, you know, from the shamanic perspective, that means that means that basically everything's going to fall apart because it's got to. It's got to come apart, just like the shell has to crack for the baby chick to be born, or the womb has to release the water's flow for the child to be born. The you know, in order for the tree to grow a little taller and bigger branches, it has to drop its leaves and send its roots down. Everything has to crack and break open in order for things to change. They don't change any other way. They just don't. They stay in a circle. And we must move out of addiction, you know, of just being in a circle or just straight ahead without looking at the past and taking things into consideration. So this new book, The Aquarian Shaman, is honoring traditional shamanism, but it's also saying that there's seven and a half billion of us. There's not enough indigenous shamans in the world to heal us all. And a lot of them are still suffering too and and don't have some of the psychological pieces they need to put it all together. So it's up to us. So I'm going to say tag, Shana. It's time for us to open up and awaken our inner shaman. We didn't get born without one, but they're latent and they're asleep within us. Coiled up probably in the DMT in our pineal gland. They are there and in our hearts. And the ancestors are in our bones, you know, and great mysteries in our heart too. And if we care about trees and waters and streams and children and babies, and the elderly, and all people, and all the creatures, great and small, if we truly care about this earth and everything in it, we're all going to need to awaken our own inner shaman and make choices from there. And we can do it, but will we? I don't know what it will take. Frequently, we have to hit bottom before we can begin to start walking um, on that spiral path towards light. But it doesn't take everybody. It's not, it doesn't take everybody. This is the main thing I would say is in my kind of closing with this is that in the oyster or the clamshell, all it needs is one grain of sand to change and to create a pearl. That's all it needs. It does not need the whole beach. And I'm praying that human beings can be that way too, that it doesn't take a whole beach. You know, it doesn't take the water's being com completely polluted, the rainforest being completely gone, no air to breathe, that it's not going to take diseases and pestilence and war, that human beings could somehow let what's happening in the world be bad enough, be a wake-up call enough, and that it can be the sand in our shells, the grit the thing that's causing us so much discomfort that we create the pearl within us, the pearl of great price, the pearl of innocence again, but also wisdom, the pearl of wisdom. And if we have wisdom, we're going to make better choices, even when they're uncomfortable or difficult. And we can do that by supporting and loving each other. And as Grandmother Twyla said, if there was only supposed to be one of us, the Creator would have only made one of us. 
Apparently, we need each other, and that's okay. It's okay to need each other. It's all right. Nothing codependent about loving and needing one another. So for the final question, Starwolf, I'd love to ask you if you were to channel the Divine Mother herself to our audience, what would she have you say? Hmm. The very first thing I heard was believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Believe in who you really are. I would say to you what Jacqueline Small said to me all those years ago when she was my mom's age. I needed to hear from a mother figure at that point. She said, basically, go get sober. Come work with me. And I would say that to the world, not necessarily that they have to stop drinking or what that, you know, but I'm talking about sobriety. Wake up. That's what sobriety is about. Wake up. Come out of the shadows now. And come work with me. I don't mean come to my training program. That'd be awesome if you wanted to come. But come work with me. I'm in my sacred purpose. Come be in yours. Get sober. And come work with me. Amen, a ho, and hallelujah. <laughs> so it is. So it is. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Starwolf, for being here. It's been beyond a pleasure to have you here and to hear your stories and to get to meet you in the flesh. And so mm. we're going to put all of your links and all the places where people can find you in the show notes. But if there's any place that you want to share about where people can find you, you can also speak that here. Mm -hmm. The easiest way probably is just to go to shamanicbreathwork.org. There's some people out now doing some other things and calling some similar things, but it's .org. We've been around for about 30 years legally, and we've been around longer than that as far as doing this work. And we have a university. It's a non-accredited university, but we do offer doctorate degrees in divinity. And we do a lot of healing with people. We get a lot of requests for people coming who are asking specifically for different kind of healings. But we also do a lot of training, and that's where I'm mainly focused because there's so many facilitators now. We're in over 33 countries, last time I checked. And so people are doing the Shemite breath work around the world. And it's a path of direct experience and it's an accelerated program for people who are ready, especially for people who've already done a lot of things. You know, after they've done, you can think of some of the things that are out there. You know, it's kind of like that's usually when people come to us when they're really ready to step out in their sacred purpose and create their body of work in the world. So mm -hmm. yeah, go to our website, shamanicbreathwork.org and people can always email me if they want to. And it's starwolf at shamanicbreathwork.org. We do have a lot of things coming up. One of the biggest things we have coming up that I love 
I love, love, love Bali. We're going back to Bali in April and we'll be doing one of our two week trainings at Ubud at the um, Yoga Barn with a, a good sized group there uh, training in Bali. We'll be in Sedona in May at the Gathering of the Shamans where I'm presenting and teaching there. And then we have our two-week training here on our mountain in Western North Carolina in um, June. At this moment, it's got a waiting list because we are at our 40-person maximum, but it's but we do have a waiting list. And then we go to Belgium and Denmark and Alaska <laughs> this year. Wow. So next year, Egypt. I love Egypt. It's my favorite place to go. We go back to Egypt next year. Lots of other places. And for those of you interested in finding out about these events, you can find them under upcoming events on our website and it lists all the dates and the locations and the trainings and all the beautiful things she has to offer. Thank you. That was so much easier. Thank you for that. (laughs) Okay, Shana, thank you. And you know, you have such a beautiful, sweet energy. I just, I've, I've really enjoyed our time together. And uh, I love the way you connected with this spiral and I love what you're doing. So keep doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners out there. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. It's just such an honor to have you all here and listening and for being a part of this journey. It really means a lot. And so blessings to each one and to Starwolf for her presence and her work and her dedication and her love. Until next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way.